This show is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com, green technology helping reduce the need for business travel. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Onion, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, Jim Hightower, and The Tom Hartman Show with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Onion. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one in the United States, the problem of dangerous drugs. Another brilliant Nixon idea. Since that time, the U.S. government has spent well over $1 trillion fighting it and by all accounts, losing the war. By the way, what was the last nonsense war we won? War on terror? We're supposed to stop all terror attacks for whatever reason, in whatever country, forever? Yeah, how's that coming along for us? How about the war on poverty? How about the war on alcohol? Remember that war was called prohibition. How'd that work out for us? Other than being an unmitigated disaster and completely undoable, kind of like our war on drugs, it also created mobsters like Al Capone and the other Chicago gangs. Sound familiar? Instead of Chicago gangs, we now have Chicano gangs. I think we need to end the war on drugs and at the very least legalize mar marijuana, not just because the war doesn't work in stopping the flow of drugs, not just because it creates even more users, not because it wastes a tremendous amount of money, but mainly, although for all those reasons too, but mainly because of the gang violence. 25,000 people have been killed in Mexico over the last three years in the drug wars. It's an unconscionable number. If you make it legal, you put the gangs out of business. Terror, drugs, and poverty redouble their efforts against the U.S. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Washington braces itself as mounting waves of terror, drugs, and poverty prepare to strike hard at the U.S. homeland. White House Press Secretary Tony Snow told reporters just moments ago that the president firmly believes these social constructs are running scared. Well, this is exactly what Presidents Johnson, Reagan, and Bush expected when they first declared wars on poverty, terror, and drugs. Uh, it just shows we're winning. This just in, terror, poverty, and drugs have reportedly joined forces to create a giant quantum laser capable of blasting the nation to atoms. Today, the president addressed the National Urban League's 100th anniversary convention, and he went to the podium with a victory in hand. Yesterday, the House passed the Fair Sentencing Act of 2010 in a voice vote, joining the Senate, which had passed it in March, and sending it to his desk for signature.
took an important step forward when Congress passed a fair sentencing bill that I look forward to signing into law, a bipartisan bill to help right a long-standing wrong by narrowing sentencing disparities between those convicted of crack cocaine and powder cocaine. It's the right thing to do. The law the new fair sentencing bill will overturn was signed by Ronald Reagan during an era in which his wife was leading a national crusade dubbed the War on Drugs and urging everyone to just say no. Say yes to your life. And when it comes to drugs and alcohol, just say no. In the mid-80s, that war had a new front when crack cocaine began to appear in American cities. In 1985, New York Times article, a retired police officer warned of the crack epidemic saying, quote, this is the wave of the future. The wave decimated many inner cities and did not escape the notice of the press, which covered the crack epidemic with increasing frenzy. It was then in 1986, amidst the high watermark of national attention to the scourge of rock-like version of cocaine, that President Reagan signed new sentencing guidelines for selling the drug. Both substances were highly addictive, both were equally harmful, both were cocaine. But crack was cheap and cocaine wasn't. Crack was primarily afflicting urban neighborhoods and cocaine was viewed as the party drug of well-off whites. African Americans made up 80% of those put in jail for crack offenses, despite being only 30% of crack users. Add to that the insane difference in punishment and you had a yawning discrepancy in how the legal system punished white and black offenders. When he took office, President Obama sought to eliminate that 100 to 1 discrepancy, despite opposition from the usual suspects. Reducing the penalties for crack cocaine could expose our neighborhoods to the same violence and addiction that caused Congress to act in the first place. Yesterday, the president prevailed over this opposition, and the relative ease with which he did indicates that the war on drugs isn't quite the political winner it was during the days of Electric Boogaloo and Debbie Gibson. Like all the White House's victories, of course, this one was partial. When the new law is signed, the ratio between crack and cocaine sentences will still be an unjustifiable 18 to 1. But yesterday's vote moves the law significantly in the right direction, away from the most mindlessly punitive drug measures of the Reagan days. Progress is progress. Let's hope eventually the war on drugs goes the way of acid-washed denim and shoulder pads. has to do with Proposition 19 and uh, it turns out that the beer industry in California wants to do everything possible to make sure that marijuana is not legalized in California. So for those of you who don't know, Prop 19 out here in California would legalize marijuana, right? So now uh, we had a guest on here and I was uh, discussing with him, he's in favor of legalizing it, and I said who's funding the effort uh, to make sure it doesn't get legalized, right? And I joked around, hey, is it the alcohol industry? And it turns out, yes, yes. it's the alcohol industry. <laughs> okay. I mean, how obvious is it that they think it's competition? And so they think, oh, no, no, I don't want you chilled out and eating, you know, Taco Bell at home. I need you out there in the bars <laughs> pounding Drinking. brewskis. Okay. Right. And when asked about it, the beer industry is like, oh, no, no, heaven forfend. 
No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's just we're concerned about people's safety, and we have our truck drivers who dr drive the beer back right. and forth, and we don't want them getting stoned. They right. have a truck full of beer that's legal. And what if they were drinking and driving, which is a million times more dangerous? There's stats to back that up. There's almost no accidents in the country that involve pot. Okay, and there are hundreds of thousands of accidents that involve drinking and driving. Okay, so that is the worst possible excuse. Mm -hmm. Now, let me be a little more specific uh, as to who we're talking about. Uh, it turns out that the California Beer and Beverage Dispu uh, Distributors donated $10,000 uh, to an organization that is trying to stop the legalization of marijuana. Okay, mm -hmm. but there is uh, Sierra Nevada and Stone Brewing Company, both of which say that they want nothing to do with this contribution, they had nothing to do with this contribution, and they are not opposed to the legalization of marijuana. So I want to put them in the clear. All right, so if you're going to buy your beer in California, buy it from Stone Brewing Company. Oh, it's <laughs> crazy. Those two of my favorite breweries. Hey! Hey! Come on, hey. I knew I liked them for a good reason. Right. Now, J.R. Jackson doesn't often drink beer, but when he does, it's either Sierra Nevada or Stone Brewing Company. Because <laughs> he is the most interesting producer in the world. <laughs> All right, so those guys, those are the good guys. It's good PR on their part. It they're is. thinking, but they seem genuinely upset about it. They're like, that has nothing to do with us. And, and the other people who are uh, backing the effort to make sure pot does not get legalized is it's a group, by the way, called Public Safety First, and it's backed by the cops in California. Now, think about that. Oh, this part really irritates okay. me. Okay, why do the cops not want pot to be legalized? Because they make so much more money in if working those drug cases right so one of the ways that they make more money is overtime right so that creates all this work and they get to charge double time or whatever it might be the other thing is it employs a lot of cops if we stop the nonsense war on drugs well we wouldn't need as many cops and so the cops are like no no no, no. keep that stuff illegal it's paying my bills that's terrible man well, they, they may have to actually do some police work which probably requires a little bit of work Rather than just pulling people over. Like, oh, I bet he's got, like, something. I bet he's got something. There's got to be some kind of remnants of something in this guy. Yeah, yeah. Instead of going, ah, yeah, I think you smell like pot. Oh, I found a little bit of uh, dope in your car or in your whatever, right, in your house. They'd actually have to try to investigate robberies, crimes, murders, etc. That's, that's kind of a pain in the ass, right? Now, look, a lot of times we get heat from cops who say, you're, you know, you're being unfair to all cops when you pick these small cases, etc. But this is not a small, this is your organization. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the cops in California together saying, no, we don't want to legalize pot because of this. Well, okay, then speak up if you disagree with them and say, no, I, I just do like what Sierra Nevada did and Stone Brewing Company did. Say, no, that's, I, I'm not interested in this. Cut it out. Stop funding that uh, organization. Mm -hmm. That simple. Right. And um, I love the response from the California Beer and Beverage dis uh, Distributor. Distributors. What is wrong with me today? Just please calm down. Oh, you calm down. <laughs> you <laughs> calm down. No, no, no. Now you briefly uh, mentioned what they had said, right? They said, no, 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 no. We're not against legalizing marijuana. We're in favor of legalizing marijuana. We just don't like that there are no uh, laws in this proposition that would help regulate marijuana if we do legalize it. Please get out of here, seriously. In the immortal words of Sammy on Jersey Shore and Anna Kasparian, you're done. You're done. If you're like most Americans, you're likely just one bad quarterly earnings report away from being out of a job. 
All companies are looking for ways to cut costs, so save your company some cash and show your boss you're a real go-getter, because that sort of thing never hurts, by suggesting you use GoToMeeting for your collaboration and client meetings. The company will save enormously on travel expenses, and you just may save your own job. Visit GoToMeeting.com and use the promo code PODCAST to start your 45-day free trial. With an economy like this, it's hard to say no to free. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST for this special free 45-day trial. It's less than a month to my March to Keep Fear Alive. Somebody sounds terrified. (laughs) And folks, there's so much to be afraid of, it's scary. Tonight, we fear Mexico. (laughs) That's gonna be more of that. Uh, Our neighboro to the south is currently in the midst of an all-out drug war. And not the good kind of drug war, like the one between Cialis and Viagra which has been raging for so long, they both really should contact their doctor. No, this one is much worse. It has happened again, just south of the U.S. border in the fierce fight between the drug cartels and the Mexican government. Another journalist has been killed. In Mexico, the government cannot, will not, does not protect journalists. Cartels are targeting Mexico's journalists. And in some cases, they're demanding positive coverage of themselves and negative coverage of their enemies. That is horrible. But it is a cheaper way to clean up your image than donating $100 million to the Newark public school system. (laughs) Now, as a result of all these threats, many Mexican media outlets have stopped covering cartel violence altogether, including Hermosillo's El Imparcial, and Nuevo Laredo's El Manana. For instance, yesterday, El Manana ran no story about a missing U.S. tourist caught in a Nuevo Laredo shootout, but they did have a front-page story on the Smurfs. (laughs) Now, journalists are so intimidated that recently the front page of El Diario de Juarez addressed the drug lords directly, asking, you are currently the de facto authorities in this city. Tell us what you expect from us. And the very next day, their comic section stopped running Kathy. (laughs) So now, now Mexico's mainstream press has stopped covering its biggest story in the country. Can you imagine if the American media stopped covering our biggest stories? I mean, dire situations, like the situation. (laughs) So where are Mexicans getting their information? It's so bad that when there were running gun battles in the state of Tamaulipas, bordering Texas, uh, citizens had no way to confirm what was going on. They resorted to social media, Facebook, Twitter, to tell each other, stay off this street or keep your children home from school. Yes, the Mexican Twitter is full of tweets like, new Shakira album, Da Bomb, car bomb in plaza, also Da Bomb. <laughs> For more, we turn to National Public Radio's border correspondent, Please welcome John Burnett. Mr. Burnett, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Now, John, what, what, what is going on down in Mexico? Is the press really so intimidated by the violence against them that they're not reporting that there is a cartel problem anymore? 
In some places in Mexico, like Mexico City, they're still able to report on the cartel war. In other places, particularly in the northern section of the country where all of these smuggling corridors are so valuable, where the drug war is raging, um, newsrooms are terrified and no one protects them. The government talks a good game, but ultimately journalists are out there. Well, when did, when did, it, when did it start? Has it, has it always been this way? No, the drug war uh, has gotten worse in the last three years. But why the journalists? I mean, they, they used to just kill each other. Why? why but no, but I mean, no, but, them. They killed each other. <laughs> but, but now they're killing journalists. Why did it turn that way? Well, for a number of reasons. I mean, journalists can get in big trouble in Mexico. Uh, Mexican journalists. Uh, uh, U.S. journalists still have a modicum of, of so protection. So you're, you would be protected because you're an American? Foreign correspondents still have a modicum of protection working in Mexico. What about, what about foreign pundits like me? Foreign pundits? Uh, do, do I count? You're worth a lot of money. You would be a kidnap risk. I would, I would watch your back. I, I think I might be doing spring break in Canada next year. <laughs> well, so when did it turn against the journalists? Um, it turned against the journalists. Um, the cartels also care about public relations. Uh, in some places, it's so bad that they actually have their own sort of press agents who tell newsrooms what they can and they can't print. I mean, it's an incredible situation. Why do they care so much about PR? I mean, they're, they're, uh, do they want to seem like white knights? Are, are, who's, who are they protecting in, 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 in their PR? Well, they're, they're actually trying to, to sort of launder their names. I mean, they don't want to be blamed for killing journalists, even though some of them do. Um, why, why does Mexico have such a trouble with, with, with drugs and guns? Why can't they be like the United States, where we don't have those troubles? <laughs> well, um, the guns come south uh, from the U.S., and the drugs go north. And really, everyone who uses recreational drugs needs to stop and realize that every time they do a line of Mexican coke or buy Mexican meth or um, buy a club drug made in Mexico or uh, have some Mexican reefer, that they're contributing directly to the mayhem in Mexico. So you're saying buy local. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? If you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to have a, a homegrown... Uh, a uh, smart pot program, it might be an oxymoron. No, well, well what, what about uh, California is thinking about legalizing uh, pot? Would that make a dent in the cartel if, like, in the Great Central Valley, there was just dubage from sea to shining sea? Well, there's a, there's a, that's a very popular notion. There's a lot of parlor talk about if you legalize marijuana in the U.S., what would happen to the cartels for which marijuana is their main cash crop. That's where they make their green. That's where they make most of it. Um, I think that presumes that some of these gangsters are going to, because they're not making as much money on marijuana, are going to go open taquerias or something. Uh, remember in 1933, when they repealed prohibition in the United States, the gangsters didn't go open a bunch of hot dog stands. They moved to gambling, to labor racketeering, and to narcotics. And so I think you should keep that in mind when you think about simple solutions in Mexico. And uh, do you go into Mexico frequently? I go into the border uh, cities frequently. That's okay. my beat. And do, do you feel safe? Not necessarily, but that's my job. Well, I hope you felt safe here. Way down here, you need a reason to move. Feel a fool, running your state side.
In California, a surprising new union movement is growing like a weed, having taken root in a burgeoning economic sector that has enormous potential, marijuana. The Golden State was one of the first to legalize the use of medical marijuana, and a network of licensed growers, dispensaries, and other related businesses has since flourished. It turns out that pot is a labor-intensive product, and the producers, distributors, and retailers of weed have become something of a hotbed for local job growth. These workers, as in any other industry, need a unified voice to achieve a living wage, decent benefits, training, job security, upward mobility, and other elements of a shared prosperity that create a middle class. In a word, unions. In Oakland, the first step toward a unionized workforce for medical marijuana businesses was taken this May, when about a hundred retail employees voted to join Local Five of the United Food and Commercial Workers. With a depressingly high unemployment rate, Oakland officials cheered this introduction of good paychecks, which will allow families to spread their increased incomes through the local economy. Then, in September. Local 70 of the Teamsters Union added to Oakland's marijuana momentum by signing up about 40 gardeners, trimmers, and other skilled workers who were employed by a local business that contracts to grow pot for medical marijuana patients in the area. The Teamsters negotiated a two-year contract with the business that provides a seven-dollar pay hike, health coverage, paid vacation, and pension—the kind of jobs that can sustain a community. This is Jim Hightower saying, ironically, federal law still outlaws marijuana, but common sense state and local laws are showing that by literally going to pot, such legalized grassroots enterprises can give people and their communities an entirely new high. Desperate drug addict is driven to get a job. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Heroin addict Kyle Levy has done things no man should have to do in order to feed his $200 a day habit: burglary, robbery, even murder. Levy has been there, but now at a point near the absolute bottom, this desperate man is left with no choice but to take a nine-to-five job. I've done a lot of stuff, but I mean, getting a job—I mean, fuck, man, it just seems wrong to me. I just don't know. I don't know if I can do that, but fuck it, I try it. Doctors call employment a temporary solution for most drug addicts, one that can only lead to a harder job with more responsibility. Tragic story. I don't think there's any more unjust law in our country 
than jailing people for smoking marijuana. Absolutely, especially considering the fact that it costs a great deal of money to keep inmates uh, well, it, in jail. It costs $60,000 a year to keep an inmate in jail. Right, and when you have nonviolent uh, drug offenders in jail, basically using up these resources, it just doesn't make any sense. Let's, even, let's, just, let's just go to the basic hypocrisy in our system. Okay. Uh, John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Bill Clinton, G.W. Bush and Barack Obama have all smoked marijuana. Every single one of them has. And the only difference between them and the millions of people sitting in jail right now rotting and eating up tax dollars and losing their entire lives is they got caught doing it in front of a cop. Mm -hmm. That's the only difference. Comparing, comparing alcohol and pot together, I gotta say they, they've got the wrong one being illegal. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the number of lives I've seen absolutely destroyed by alcohol, whether it's violence, car crashes, just crazy behavior, mm -hmm. pales in comparison to pot. Who's ever died of a marijuana overdose? So what is Dianne Feinstein's argument against legalizing marijuana? You know, let, let me tell you what it all comes back to. It all comes back to racism in the early part of this century where basically people said, okay, we got the liquor makers here mm -hmm. and the blacks, they're smoking grass and we're not making money off that and it's going to make the white women sleep with them. And by the way, that was one of the reasons it was made illegal uh -huh. is they passed the law and boom, that's it. So for years, it's saying, oh, it's this dark, evil thing. It's going to make you twisted. What it's going to make you do is maybe look at life differently as you're sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make you get in a fight. It's not going to make you abuse your family. It's not going to make you jump in the car and, like, drive into a brick wall. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's something that's so not dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that we've got millions of people locked up when the past few presidents of the United States have admitted they've smoked it. It's, it's to me, just... The most hypocritical thing our government's done out of many mm -hmm. hypocritical things. And for, for Feinstein to go, oh no, I think it should keep being illegal. Well, the thing is, it's not illegal in California. It's not illegal in California if you have the money and a connection to a doctor who can write you a prescription. But just the same way abortion was never really illegal for wealthy people. The people who are punished in this are people who don't have money. Because if the police were driving around upper-income neighborhoods and upper-middle-class neighborhoods arresting anybody and searching anyone they could find that smelled like marijuana, you'd have just as many white people in jail as black people and brown people. And it's absolute BS, and it's criminal, and we should all wake up and go out and vote in November and make it legal. I really think that's what's going to happen. I believe that whether or not Dianne Feinstein wants to c convince people to uh, criminalize marijuana and, you know, not legalize it, people are going to go to the polls and most people know that marijuana is not a terrible drug and it's not nearly as bad as alcohol is. I think they're going to go... It's not even close to as bad yeah, as alcohol. Exactly. And we're, we're, we're glorifying alcohol on a daily basis on every major network, on every airwave. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going and getting just hammered. Right. You lose so much more control drinking alcohol than you would ever do from smoking a joint. It just, it blows my mind that one is considered illegal and the other is, you know, hey, fine, get as drunk as you want. Being drunk will make you cool. Right. You, you realize as you get older, there's really nothing less cool than being drunk. I mean, look, when you're in your 20s, dude, it's cool when you're drunk. Mm -hmm. You see people in their 40s and 50s, you're like... Seriously.
So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoyed this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. There's one candidate out there in this election who does not need my help. The Honorable Mary Jane Von Spliefenberg. Also known as California's Proposition 19 to legalize marijuana. Now, if Prop 19 were a human, it would be the most popular candidate in California, polling higher than Jerry Brown, Barbara Boxer, Carly Fiorina, and Meg Whitman. No surprise there. I understand the people who work for Meg Whitman can't actually vote in this country. If passed, Prop 19 would allow anyone over 21 to possess up to an ounce of weed. To put that in perspective, an ounce of weed is enough to roll... 60 joints. That, that's enough to give you 6,000 brilliant ideas that will seem stupid later. Now, Prop 19, folks, is not even necessary. It's not necessary, folks. Last week, citing the expense of prosecution, California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger decriminalized marijuana. So in California, keep in mind, decriminalizing is the conservative position. The liberal position is converting all fire hydrants into bongs. <laughs> but thankfully, there is one group fighting legalization. The growers of medical marijuana and the doctors who prescribe it. Now, I can understand. They don't want to give up their monopoly. It's the same reason ophthalmologists oppose QVC's Easy Home LASIK Kit. <laughs> Plus, professionals like the ones at California's Marijuana Medicine Evaluation Centers are adamant that pot should be used to treat only serious disorders like sleep apnea, tension headache, nightmares, colorblindness, hiccuping, and writer's cramp. Which you are especially at risk for if you're a doctor who writes weed prescriptions for anyone who claims to have writer's cramp. And I'll tell you folks, all this talk of legalizing pot is just making me paranoid. Here to talk me down, please welcome chairman and founder of the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, Joe Califano. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. Good to see you. Now, Just to be clear, you, you, you're uh, Jimmy Carter's head of H-E-W. Right. You know a thing or two about health and public policy. You oppose Prop 19, correct? Absolutely. Now, take us through the nightmare scenario where pot okay. becomes legal in California and then all of our daughters are sold into white slavery. <laughs> Make that chain for me. The, the whole issue of marijuana is about children. 
If we can get a child through age 21 without smoking, without using illegal drugs, without abusing alcohol, that kid is virtually certain to be home free. We have two legal drugs in America, alcohol and tobacco. We've had no success in keeping it out of the hands of kids. So if you legalize pot in, in California, all the kids will have access to it. Okay, now there are people who do not care about children. On the wrong side of this issue, please welcome former New Mexico governor and legalization advocate, Gary Johnson. Mr. Johnson, thanks so much for coming back. Now, you think that Prop 19, or legalization in general, is the right thing to do at this time. Why? It is, it is the right thing to do. Control it, regulate it, uh, tax it. Half of what we spend on law enforcement, half of what we spend in the courts, half of what we spend in the prisons is drug-related. And what are we getting for that? We're arresting 1.8 million people a year in this country. Uh, 1.8 million criminals, 1.8 million. 1.8, let, let me put a face to the cr criminal. Uh, uh, six weeks ago, fellow in Des Moines, Iowa, arrested for a possession of one gram of marijuana with intent to distribute it to his 17-year-old daughter. He was convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison. He had just gotten out of prison having served one year in prison. That's the face of the 1.8 million arrests. What about that? Okay. What, what do you right. think that this is too harsh? You got a guy's going to jail for a gram of pot over there. Are you for busting them up for their organs like I am? Do you think <laughs> that that is too harsh? Of, of the 2.3 million people that are in prison, there are only uh, one, less than 1 percent, 25,000, are there for marijuana-related offenses. And most of that is distribution and selling. So, Okay, now he says 25,000. What do you say to that, sir? Uh, I say that about half-plus are there on, on drug-related crime. The profile of 73% of the people in federal prison today are individuals who sold small amounts of drugs and were caught on numerous occasions. Now, you're a libertarian. Mandatory, mandatory sentencing. R Republican. You're, you're, you're a Republican. Republican. Yes, Republican. Are you, you, but you're, you have libertarian tendencies, don't you? You think? <laughs> anyway. I do. I do a little bit. But you're for legalizing and Le then regulating. I thought Republicans and Libertarians were against regulation and taxes. Sounds like you're jumping on board with more big government. Well, big government when it comes to marijuana. Tax it, regulate it, control it. Big spleef. All big right, spleef. now, what, what about this idea that if we can tax it and regulate it, we can okay. control it and maybe help shut down some of the narco-terror on our border? Okay. If we tax alcohol and we tax uh, cigarettes, yes, we do. for every dollar we collect in taxes, we incur $9 in health care costs, social service costs, and uh, criminal justice costs. That's, that's a very important point to Let remember. Me ask you, and do you, do you sir, take any drugs? I am on pharmaceuticals. I take Lipitor. Mm -hmm. So you're high on the Lipitor right now. Uh, <laughs> no such... No what about such medical thing. marijuana? The legal situation here, we, we have to deal with this in culture. We have to change the culture. Right, because so wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be dangerous to introduce pot to California? How would it change their culture? Well, <laughs> we have to change. We change the culture about smoking cigarettes in America. We used to say 30 years ago, would you like a cigarette? Now we say, do you mind if I smoke? And we say, hell yes. All and right, hold on a second. Now, what, what, what about that? We can affect change. We affect change with cigarettes. Can we check, affect change with, with things like pot? Well, we make it unpopular. Uh, look, I, I just think that there should be truth in this. I don't, uh, I don't drink uh, alcohol, I don't smoke pot, but I've drank alcohol and I've smoked pot. 
And I can tell you there's a big difference between the two, and that is that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. So I think we can introduce truth into this whole equation. We can tell our kids the truth regarding this. And when it comes to the truth and my kids, uh, I, I love them. Um, I'd rather see them smoke marijuana than alcohol, but I don't want them caught when it comes to, I don't want them subject to the criminal justice system when it comes to marijuana. Well, California is looking at the possibility the statewide ballot initiative to legalize pot, Proposition 19, of being one of the first states to do so and actually tax it. See, Oakland ahead of the curve. They're they're actually uh, they want to be big time in the growing business. Hey, agriculture! California is an agricultural state, right? A, you know, a lot of research has been done on marijuana. Research done at UCLA, for example, and Harvard. Um, it finds pot is useful for glaucoma, ep epilepsy, muscular spasms, reducing tumors, controlling na nausea for cancer, chemotherapy, uh, emphysema, migraine, depression, anorexia. I could, I've got a long list here. There's really some very startling and impressive research. Why would anybody be opposed to this? Paul Chabot is, uh, is actually opposed to it. He is with the uh, DrugFreeCalifornia.org website and an organization. He's the founder and spokesperson for the Coalition for Drug Free California. Paul, welcome to the program. Paul? Yes, uh, this is Paul. Yeah, hey, you're on the air. Oh, great. Hey, thanks so much for having me today uh, with Coalition for Drug Free California. And uh, we rallied with uh, business leaders, uh, religious leaders, community folks, uh, parents like myself to fight back against drug legalization here in California. And uh, we feel real good about what's coming on the ballot in November uh, and the fact that we feel we're going to defeat this initiative and send a resounding message not just around California but around the rest of the nation that this is not a way to... Uh, somehow pay for taxes, deficits, etc., that this is uh, bad for the communities, and uh, we can do a lot better for our uh, our youth. So I assume if you're serious about California becoming drug-free that you're going to join with the Mormon Church and the uh, Orthodox Muslims in uh, calling for an outright ban on alcohol and caffeine. Well, and that's a great point. You know, we've got enough problems in our country already because of alcohol. And now that we've added drugs to that problem, we've got an 8 to 1 ratio. Alcohol is not a drug? It is. Okay. It is. Caffeine's and, not a drug? Well, you know, I mean, you could go down the list, and uh, where are we going to stop with that? Well, I, I'll stop with those two. Okay, well, let's start with Th alcohol. Those two are two that you've got a couple of major religions, uh, Mormonism, a uh, major branch of Christianity, and, and large chunks of the Muslim world say those two are drugs that are dangerous, you shouldn't go near them, and I'm saying if you're going to be consistent, you should be joining with the Muslims and the, and the, uh, uh, the, Muslims and the Mormons in saying, no, let's ban all drugs. Well, I really appreciate your concern for that. I would say as a community, as a society, are we better off with alcohol? And if we look at the problems we have, uh, 
I think we got a lot of problems. And we look at National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, 8 to 1 ratio. We now have more people driving high on our highways than from alcohol. And so the drug- A lot of those high in that statistic, though, a lot of the high in that statistic is from prescription drugs. In fact, the majority of it is from prescription drugs. And, you know, most of those are, are given, it's amazing. I mean, one in 10 in Americans right now is on a psychoactive prescription drug. And that's what that study is quoting. Yeah, and, you know, we have a huge problem. It's not and I was going to get to that as well. Uh, prescription drug abuse is a big problem. It's overtaken marijuana usage. It's one of our number one concerns for youth. Right, so let's put, let's put mar- marijuana forward as an alternative to it. Oh, it's a, it, that would be a complete joke. We already have a disaster here in California. It's less toxic than alcohol. No, your facts are completely wrong. How many people in the United States die from alcohol you know, every year? You're going to mention one of about eight pro-drug arguments that people will throw up. No, I'm it's, saying very seriously. I'm, I'm assuming that you realize that over 50,000 people die in this country every year from alcohol poisoning, from cirrhosis of the liver. From They, they die not, not from the consequences of being high on alcohol, but from alcohol itself. How many people in the, in the United States in the last decade have died from a pot overdose? Well, that's a, that's a typical, very how liberal, many? pro-drug argument. No, let me finish my point, sir. Well, I'm just we, curious how many have died. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But what I will tell you is this. More how about people, zero? More people, fine. More people enter drug rehabilitation for marijuana than all other, all other drugs combined. And I'm one of them. I went through rehab for pot when I was a kid. Mm. I used to be on your side of this issue, and then I grew up. Here's the difference in California. Back in 1996, the voters passed an initiative, Prop 215, which legitimized marijuana for medicinal purposes. Most California voters today know it's a complete joke because in California you can get pot for anything, hair loss, itchy skin, high heel pain, you name it. And now we're seeing more cities, over 200 of them, banning marijuana dispensaries. Oakland is a complete anomaly. And it's a joke and it's an embarrassment to our state. Most people today are standing up against pot and against drug legalization, which is why we're going to defeat this initiative in November. So here we have alcohol, which actually kills people, which uh, impairs people so badly that it's responsible for an additional 50,000 deaths a year on our highways. And it seems to be, you know, and, and is highly addictive, far more addictive and, and habit-forming than pot. And you want to keep alcohol legal, and you want to ban pot. I and and not only that. I mean, look at these studies that show that marijuana is actually the. It's more effective than the prescription drugs on the market for reducing the 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 pressure inside eyeballs associated with glaucoma. Doesn't have the side effects. Your it facts could, are wrong. Your facts are wrong. And let me, let me show this to you. I'm, when, I'm quoting a study done at the University of California in Los Angeles. Okay, look, you're talking about glaucoma. When people smoke pot, it reduces the pressure at that instant when they're smoking the joint. When they let it. Down, down, their pressure goes right back up. What happens is the pro-drug folks will latch onto any positive niche they can see and completely ignore. This study the was done with marijuana tablets. Oh, okay. Now let's talk about that. Are we talking about marijuana? This, this study was done with tetrahydrocannabinol okay, THC. Now I'll tell you, Californians here like myself. We support the research into this, and we stand behind Marinol, which is a federally approved drug. There's also a new drug out there called Sativex. Uh, which looks at, at THC. So there are benefits that the federal government has shown through Marinol. Our argument has been with the smoked crude weed, which people are standing on the backs of sick people calling this magic medicine. And it's not. Smoked dope, like we're seeing on our California streets and communities, has become a runaway joke, so much so that these drug legalizers have pushed away the very base they were hoping to bring into their corners. They've exploited this system, and we're fed up. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I strongly believe, having used both pot and alcohol in my life, I, it's been probably 20 years since I used pot, but certainly I, you know, as a teenager, uh, liberally <laughs> tried it, uh, that th there's no comparison. I mean, pot, you know, alcohol, alcohol can do you real damage. Alcohol can, you know, just knock you down dumb. Alcohol, sure. I've seen so many lives destroyed by alcohol. I've, I've known so many, you know, over the course, I, I'm old enough to have seen a lot of the people that I grew up with turn into alcoholics. I haven't seen... I can think of one person I know who in his 50s is still using drugs and his his problem wasn't pot his problem was heroin. So do you think we should ban alcohol? No, I'm saying that no kind of prohibition works. We tried well, banning alcohol, it didn't work, it created a giant crime industry. We tried banning pot well, and it has created a giant crime industry. And I you know, I get it that you want to be moralistic about this. I think you should join the Mormons or the Muslims and 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 ask people to join your cult and say, Yes, we will make a an oath not to do this and and you know, do it at person by person. But when you try to make it state policy and enforce it with guns and prisons, it doesn't work. No, the guns and Prisons is a complete rumor. Less than one half of one percent of people are in prison are there for a marijuana distribution. We talked about the crime on our streets, and one of the points that you mentioned was, you know, crime prohibition. First off, prohibition worked. Okay, prohibition worked. Yes, we had crime, and there will always be crime. Drug cartels in Mexico. My dissertation prohibition was Prohibition worked? My dad used to tell me stories of living on the south side of Chicago and walking down to one of Al Capone's speakeasies to get uh, a bucket of beer for his dad, my grandfather. That is a very typical argument. But we look at the consumption, which dropped. Sure, there's always going to be crime. Legal we consumption have a, we dropped. We have a billion-dollar black market of tobacco here in this country which is legitimized and legalized. Just because you legalize something doesn't push a black market underground. Well, much of, much of that black market is actually state-to-state -state avoidance of taxation. That's, well, it's still a crime. It's if still you had a, a federal tax that was consistent across the, state, across the country, you wouldn't have that problem. It's the Onion Radio News. A model train hobby becomes a model train habit. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Though Billings, Montana native Leon Gare claims he can, quote, handle it, family members have become increasingly concerned that Gare's model train pastime has crossed the line. Gare's 19-year-old son Brad is despondent over his father's all-consuming passion for the tiny locomotives. If I'd only known what model trains would do to him, I would have organized an intervention long ago. The breaking point came two weekends ago when Gare drove six hours to the Montana Model Railroad Association convention in Missoula, leaving behind a desperate note repeating the phrase, must get 40-watt transformer, must get 40-watt transformer. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. Online at Because on the edge of docks There rides a peace train Peace train, take this country, come take me home again.
Hey, David Pakman here, host of the nationally syndicated Midweek Politics with David Pakman. If you're anything like me, you're a regular listener to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I want to invite you to check out my show, Midweek Politics with David Pakman. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists you've ever seen. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out midweekpolitics.com, check out my show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of the Midweek Politics membership program. Come on, peace train. Now get your bags together. Prior to the war on drugs, okay. okay, the U.S. government actually encouraged drug use, mm-hmm. especially among our soldiers, mm-hmm. okay? In fact, really? uh, yes, this is an incredible article, okay? Yeah. So um, it mainly talks about uh, the war in Vietnam mm-hmm. and how the U.S. government used to uh, encourage our soldiers to use marijuana and LSD. Okay, now I know a lot of people use marijuana and LSD in Vietnam because I see the movies. Okay, hello, I watched Apocalypse Now. I watched, you know, all the Vietnam movies. But uh, why does, does he claim that the government encouraged? That? Okay, I'll, I'll let you know in just a second. But just to give you some numbers, more than eighty percent would get stoned mm-hmm. uh, in the military during Vietnam. Eighty percent. So that's a huge number. So I'll tell you why. What they would do is they would test all of these drugs on soldiers to get an idea of how they can use, like the CIA would do this, in order to get an idea of how they can use drugs on the enemy. Mm-hmm. So they would try to develop truth serums and things like that. I'll give you some uh, specific examples. So the CIA engaged in a 10-year secret program to identify the test drugs, uh, identify and test drugs for use as truth serums during the interrogations as an incapacitating agent. Operation Midnight Climax secretly tested LSD on unwitting patrons of the CIA-financed whorehouse. So that's just one example. Those aren't the soldiers. But soldiers were also encouraged to take uh, drugs just to see what type of effects they had on them. Um, Although the U.S. was a signatory to the Geneva Convention protocols banning the use of chemical weapons, the U.S. Army engaged in extensive testing of marijuana and its active ingredient, THC, as an incapacitating agent in warfare. A secret research program tested these substances, including highly concentrated derivatives, on thousands of American GIs without their informed consent. William Cox goes on to talk about uh, the Nixon administration, Mm -hmm. and he goes on to talk about how the war on drugs started. Mm -hmm. And this is makes me so angry, I can't even begin to explain how terrible this is. All right, so this is what he did. So uh, Nixon appointed Governor Raymond Raymond Schaefer to. do research on marijuana, specifically marijuana, and Nixon wanted to see what the effects of marijuana were on people. So uh, Schaefer was the chair to this national committee that did research on marijuana, and they found out that marijuana has very, very little negative consequences, especially compared to alcohol. Okay, just to give you a few examples. The, uh, s- the study found that there was no significant physical, biochemical, or mental abnormalities that could be attributed solely to marijuana use. Okay, also, uh, no ver- verification is found on a, a causal relationship between marijuana use and um, subsequent heroin use. They found a lot of things that, pr- that proved that marijuana use is not that big of a deal, right? And that we shouldn't criminalize it for personal use. Right? So let me guess what they did. 
they said, let's continue to criminalize. No, this, this is what Nixon did. This, this is the part that enrages me. Nixon looked at that evidence and he said, I don't like that. So, Mr. Schaefer, I would like you to alter the findings of your study to say that marijuana uh, has terrible consequences. I want you to lie about the results of the study that I commissioned you to do. Yeah, of course. You scum. You dirty scum. No, no, no. Let me... No, and you know why this is not okay? The reason why this is a huge problem. 15 million people have been imprisoned for pot use, okay? This has cost our country one trillion dollars in costs. No. One trillion dollars. No, no, no. Listen. Okay, we're, we're in a fucking deficit. And we're criminalizing people for personal marijuana use. And it enrages me because it started with Nixon, a guy who commissioned someone to do a study on marijuana use, didn't like the results, and used his personal, uh, personal feelings and personal opinions about marijuana to totally change the course of drug policy in the United States. Look, uh, Bush, on a regular basis, would appoint lobbyists as the head of certain departments, right? So, for example, the Environment, Environmental Protection Agency, and they would come back with a report saying, we've got toxins in there. And the guy, the, the, the former lobbyist, would cross out toxins and say, we've got air. Okay? And now, we covered dozens of stories like that during the Bush administration. Uh, NASA would say, we've got tremendous global warming. Mm -hmm. And they would cut out tremendous and put no. Okay? So, it, it, the Republicans have been doing this for decades. If they don't like the scientific results, mm -hmm. they just change them. Okay? They just change them, completely ignore them. And, you know, Nixon was caught on tape talking about the study and talking about Schaefer. Okay? Mm -hmm. And this is what he said. Uh, that's a funny thing. Every one of the bastards that are out for legalizing marijuana is Jewish. What? Oh. No, no, no. It continues. It, it, it gets better. What? Uh, what the Christ? It. What the Christ is the matter with these Jews, Bob? What is the matter with them? I suppose it's because most of them are psychiatrists. By God, we are going to hit the marijuana thing, and I want to hit it right square in the puss. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I didn't know that Nixon was going there. All right, now look, you see that? If you don't like the science, well, the scientist was a goddamn Jew. Okay. Right. No, but he didn't make it up. There was no Rick Sanchez, you know, dreamt up psychiatrist Jewish conspiracy in favor of pot. Why would there be? Why, why would psychiatrists Jews like pot more than anybody else? God, but that's the way their mind thinks, because you know why? Nixon did do conspiracies. Mm -hmm. He got run out of office for doing a conspiracy. Exactly. So he thinks everything else is a conspiracy. So if Schaefer comes to him with numbers, he says, I don't like those numbers. Schaefer's a goddamn Jew. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, and he's, got, he's part of a, psychi a psychi psychiatrist conspiracy to legalize pot. Now look, you know, I, I was laughing before because I love how, you know, how riled up you got over it. God bless your heart. Uh -huh. But you're 100% right. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, all those, over a million people, what was it, a million and a half people in jail. 15 million since the war on drugs for marijuana use only. 15 million. 15 million. And that's cost our country $1 trillion. All right. Those, those are real people. That's somebody's dad. You know, somebody who needed a dad, mm -hmm. somebody who needed a family with a steady income, their dad, their uncle, their grandfather, their aunt, whatever, 
they got locked up in jail with hardened criminals. 15 million of them. Because Richard Nixon didn't like science, didn't like the numbers, didn't like the results, and said, well, who cares? Let's throw away the truth mm -hmm. and let's do an asinine war on drugs that wound up being enormously counterproductive. What's even more asinine is the fact that that war on drugs continues today under Obama's administration. Yes. When are we going to say, you're right, because when are we going to say, hey, look, this is how it began. It began in madness. It was a stupid, rage-fueled, conspiracy-fueled you know, plot by a president who got thrown out of office in shame. Right. right? Why do we continue to fight his senseless, asinine war? You'd have to be mental to continue that. Hey Jay, my name is Alex and I'm a long-time listener calling from Vancouver, BC. That's right, you have a fan all the way up here in Canada. So uh, from an outsider looking in who has worked in the medical field in both the U.S. and Canada, there's something I'd like to throw my support behind for you and your listeners. I really, really hope that eventually all Americans get some form of universal health care or at least a decent public option as a start. The Canadian system isn't perfect by any stretch, and there are other medical, you know, other medical models to uh, follow. But it sure beats the profit-driven system that the folks in the U.S. are saddled with. It seems to be a moral issue that should be self-evident: that universal health care should be a right enjoyed by all Americans and not just a select few. I'm sure if the Constitution was written by doctors, it would be a right, just as the lawyers who say had a say in the Constitution ensured that legal counsel is a right for U.S. citizens. So it's my sincere hope that the U.S. eventually adopts some form of universal health care for all of its citizens. So I've been supporting uh, your show for a long time by telling everybody I know about it. I've even encouraged my Bible-thumping Republican relatives to give it a listen, and uh, they're still not speaking to me, but that's okay. Anyway, and I make all my uh, Amazon purchases through the Best of the Left website, and I finally put my money where my mouth is and recently became a member and went above and beyond, as you would say. So, Jay, keep up the good work. Stay awesome. Your show rocks. Thanks. Hey, Jay, this is Matt in South Carolina. And even though I won't be able to uh, attend the rally, I think it's vitally important that it has a lot of meeting. I mean, just meetups in general, uh, just with people with uh, similar interests, getting to know other people, you can make a lot of connections. And uh, it's just a bonus that it's from some of the funniest people on this side <laughs> that I've known. So um, it is definitely very valuable, and I'm kicking myself for not being able to get there. But um, I hope everyone has fun. And uh, once again, thank you, Jay, for producing the best of the luck. Hello, Jay. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I've been listening to your show for going on three and a half years, maybe four years now. Uh, great job. Keep it up. Uh, just calling about the upcoming election, like I'm sure plenty of people are. My main problem is I still don't feel like 
anybody actually counts votes, or if they do, then it's suspect at best. And I don't really have any faith in the electoral process. All my friends on the progressive side are saying, man, you've got to vote. It's, it's the only thing that you can do. But it's like, I feel like it's my vote that isn't even being counted versus millions and millions of lobbyist dollars, which are definitely being counted. And uh, I know you're kind of beholden to whatever they cover in the media, but if you have anything to say on this issue, I'd definitely like to hear your thoughts. Thanks, buddy, and keep it up. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial, 206-202-3410, just to respond to a couple of the calls that came in. I couldn't agree any more than uh, than I already do about uh, the discussion of electronic voting machines and that entire, uh, that entire series of discussions that, you know, you couldn't hear enough about it um, before 2006. I remember hearing a lot about it before 2006, and boy, I don't know what happened, but for some reason, progressives and Democrats stopped worrying about the, you know, the integrity of the voting machines after 2006. Hmm. Well, it's a mystery. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what they're thinking about that, but hopefully... Um, something will happen that'll make them uh, think twice about that and get that back on their agenda. In the meantime, you're absolutely right. I can't play any clips about it unless people are actually talking about it. So, uh, you know, here's the thought. Maybe you guys should send some emails to some progressive radio hosts and television hosts and tell them you want to hear about electronic voting machines without paper ballots and without paper trails and without verifiable results, and so on and so on. Um, it seems like a pretty relevant thing, not just after the Democrats lose. And then also thanks to Matt for his comments about the rally. Uh, please keep those uh, comments coming in if you have any thoughts, if you agree with Matt, if you disagree uh, about whether the rally in D.C. is you know really worthwhile or if you do think it's worthwhile, why do you think it is? Uh, you know, Matt said that any chance for people to get together is is useful because connections will be made and people have conversations, and uh, and it, you know it makes it makes the whole community stronger, which I agree with. And so, if you have you know similar or completely differing views on that, I would love to hear from you. Two zero six two zero two three four one zero, and certainly you know call in whether or not. You can actually make it to the rally. You're still allowed to have an opinion. Now, for my part, of course, I am encouraging you to go to the rally in D.C. and then also encouraging you to come meet up with us afterwards. I will be there. And then uh, according to Facebook, you know, could be misleading, but a lot of people have signed up. About 25 people have said they're going to show up. Um, whether or not they do, of course, is up to them and uh, is yet to be seen. But certainly, if you have interest in meeting up with me and like probably a healthy, uh, healthy group of you guys, um, details for all of that is at bestoftheleft.com or facebook.com slash bestoftheleft. You can get all the details on the listener meetup after the Stuart Colbert rally for sanity and fear in Washington, D.C., October 30th. So now, of course, I just want to thank Elizabeth M., who signed up for a monthly membership back on August 30th and signed up uh, a little above and beyond 
the standard membership level just to help out the show a little bit more. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. And Daniel C signed up for a yearly membership way back on July 16th. So huge thanks to Elizabeth and Daniel and all of the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show in a completely free way. Just tell everyone you know about it. One of the best ways to tell friends and family about it is through online social networks. Of course, Best of the Left is on Twitter and Facebook, so join up with us there. For details on the show itself, links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode are always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Just a fun fact.